Thanks for the victory lap though Whoa, whoa They ain't never seen nothing like this before Lit the room when I came through the front door Ask me if I should suffer come Welcome to The Roz Project, a conversation about life, entrepreneurship, personal development, family tech, and marketing. My name is Ivan Temokov, and I'm your host. What's in this podcast for you? Here you will find life-changing advice to help you level up every aspect of your life and business and help you reach your goals and dreams. As always, all content is 100% real, raw, and unfiltered. On today's episode of the podcast, I'm really excited to have Ali Rankin, who is a multidisciplinary storyteller and artist who has spent two decades working at the forefront of global visual effects industry from The Lord of the Rings to Alice through The Looking Glass. He combines a history of creative achievement with a background in computer programming and AI to develop new narrative conventions in interactive media. He's also the founder and CEO of Vancouver based immersive content production company, uh, and Sensory Interactive, through which he created the interactive virtual reality film Downloaded, which is currently on the international festival circuit. Through his nonprofit organization, From the Trees to the Stars, Ali works as an advocate and activist for diversity, fairness, and sustainability. In addition, he performs as a spoken word poet, musician, comedian, and public speaker. Wow, Ali, welcome to the show. Great to be here, Ivan. Thanks for having me. What an amazing bio. As I was reading that, I'm like, this is just a book in itself, probably. So first of all, let's, let's go way, way back. So you, you, you've done global visual effects, you know, anywhere from like the Lord of the Rings to Alice Through the Looking Glass. I mean, these are major, pro, you know, global productions, right? That you're just about... I think every dreamer, every storyteller out there probably has heard of, especially Lord of the Rings. How did you even get to that? Let's talk about like early days of how did you even get into visual effects and then, you know, getting to the Lord of the Rings? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, I, I grew up in a, um, in a s- small and somewhat poor neighborhood in, in Auckland, New Zealand, and um, it didn't really occur to me growing up that I would ever have a chance to work on, on something like that. You know, one of my best friends at school was obsessed with visual effects and, and he had a dream to work at ILM. Um, but yeah, as I say, it wasn't really on my radar. Um, what fascinated me, you know, I was, I was pursuing sort of both creative and technical scientific um, fields at school and, um, I ended up going into computer science because I'd, I'd started teaching myself how to program a computer at home, um, sort of found that I had an affinity with that, got into computer science as a bachelor's degree, and there were these papers at my college in the subject of artificial intelligence. This is, you know, 20-something years ago, so, you know, let's say, yeah, 25 years ago. So it wasn't really anything anybody had heard of. It certainly wasn't as cool as it is today to to name drop artificial intelligence or machine learning. Um, But I was just fascinated by it. It turns out that my college actually had a pretty good program in that. Um, But the jobs that you could do in AI in those days were, were not really interesting things at all. You know, my professors had been working for banks trying to write systems to detect credit card fraud or to predict when the wings were going to fall off airplanes. 
Um, <laughs> right, and that sort of thing didn't really appeal to me. Um, but just as I was graduating, Peter Jackson announced he was making Lord of the Rings, and so for the first time in my adult life, I thought, "Huh, I think I know what I want to be when I grow up." Um, <laughs> okay. How, how can I get how can I get into that? Because you know, I I was a a nerd Lord of the Rings fan growing up. So, sure. um, and I was also a, you know, sort of science fiction and cyberpunk fan. So that, that sort of, um, you know, fed into a lot of what I've ended up doing as I've um, gone through my career. But anyway, so I heard Peter Jackson was making Lord of the Rings and I, and I applied not knowing what I could do that might be relevant. So, you know, I'd studied a little bit of film studies. I'd stu studied a little bit of computer graphics I wrote up a resume that, that kind of tried to play those things mm -hmm. up and make it sound like I, I was much more impressive and, and, and capable and experienced than I really was. Um, and they, they got my resume and they threw it on the pile with the thousand other resumes they were getting every day. Because <laughs> everybody in the world wanted to work on Lord of the Rings. Right. But, um, and what it was, though, it, it turns out that I, I was on this electronic music mailing list and there was a, a, a woman that was on that mailing list, a good friend of mine now, Mel James, and she was working at Weta Digital on The Lord of the Rings um, that were in the pre-production. You know, they, they hadn't yeah. even started filming it yet at this stage. They were just sort of preparing to, to go to camera. And Mel had lunch one day with this guy, Stephen Regulus, who... Um, who wrote the software that was used to do all of the massive battle scenes. Um, the software called Massive, in fact. You mm -hmm. might have something from the behind the scenes. You know, it's, it sort of uses a, a form of artificial intelligence to give orcs and elves and all these other yeah. human and, and monsters their own sort of uh, awareness of their surroundings and their ability to make decisions. Um, and she was having lunch with him and he said, you know, it's really hard to find anyone that knows anything about artificial intelligence. And she said, well, you need to talk to my friend, Ollie. And uh, one thing led to another. <laughs> wow. So small world really is, is how it's really all, you know, interconnected, you know, and, and how really in such a big world that we live in is, is just that there's always someone that you know or someone that knows you and next thing you know is so the power of community you know is really important and i think that's really what led you to kind of you know slim down you know kind of the piles of thousands of resumes that they were going through mm -hmm. and suddenly yours that was in a pile of thousands because let's face it you know lord of the rings huge 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 production is probably in the top five you know out there probably in the last i don't know 20 years I would say, so suddenly, you know, your resume is at the top when it was probably all the way at the bottom because you knew someone that, you know, was connected to, you know, the production of uh, The Lord of the Rings. So um, I, I, that's very interesting. So, you know, you know I want to talk a little bit about one of the things that I, I wanted to chat about is, you know, uh, virtual reality and just the entire industry uh, with you and get your take on that. Also, um, in terms of, you know, what your opinions are on where that's going, as we know now with what's happening in the world is that I think virtual reality is probably going to play a more important role in the way that we connect really as human beings and the way virtual reality is used really just, you know, in any industry, you know, virtual meetings and such like that. So 
you know, what's your thoughts on kind of where the virtual reality industry is industry is in currently, and what do you think is going to come down the pike in the next, you know, five, ten years? Yeah, totally. I mean, that's obviously a, it's a pretty big topic, but let me sort of go back again to my uh, to my teenage years when I first got interested in, in virtual reality. I was sort of reading mm-hmm. all cyberpunk science fiction books and watching movies like Tron and, you know, that sort of thing. And I was immediately fascinated by it. You know, I grew up in this poor neighborhood and virtual reality to me was like this portal that you could go through to experience things that you wouldn't otherwise be able to have the opportunity to experience. You know, I guess another another sort of cultural reference is the Star Trek holodeck. You know, a lot oh. of people... Right, that's sort of around the same sort of time period that I'm, I'm watching mm-hmm. Tron, I'm reading Neuromancer, I'm watching Star Trek The Next Generation, and, and I'm imagining one hand in this sort of purely selfish way, hey, this is a way that I could get to experience space, I could get to travel the world, and I could get to, you know, have all of these experiences. Um, and then the other, the other thing that sort of occurred to me really early on was that seeing the world through another person's eyes and sort of getting to live another person's experience would be a great way to break down the, the biases and the misunderstandings that prevent people from um, connecting with each other or, yeah. or connect them, um, sort of prevent them from working together to overcome shared obstacles. So, you know, I've sort of always had that in the back of my mind for, you know, 30 plus years. Um, but then, you know, I guess I looked at the progression of other technologies and the uptake in other technologies. And like a lot of people, I thought, well, obviously pornography is going to be the way that VR makes it into the mainstream. Yep. (laughs) Right. That is, you know, interesting. You said that. And I just wanted to touch upon that before I elaborate on a couple of things you mentioned. What a lot of people don't know is actually the pornography industry is, is perhaps one of the most innovative because they're using pieces of technologies that are way ahead of what everyone else is doing. And I'm thinking in terms of, you know, before 4K became popular, right? I, por- the pornography industry had been using it for a couple of years already at that point, and most people kind of frown upon it because it's adult, right? And most people like frown upon that because let's just face it, it's not cool, right? But one thing that you mentioned that I really wanted to touch upon is when you were talking about how you saw virtual reality at a very young age, you saw it as a portal to enter a different world. And I think one of the things that draws people so much into virtual reality is sort of that out-of-body experience, sort of, that it gives you an opportunity to experience something that you otherwise probably wouldn't. Like you said, you want to experience space. You want to travel. You want to go to different places. That's, in essence, what a portal is. And I'm thinking with virtual reality also being good for community development, for interaction, for collaboration for socializing also. And I see that as a thing moving forward more than ever, simply because I think a lot of people are looking for that access point, something that's quick and virtual reality provides that, right? Absolutely. And one of the things that I'm working on right now actually is a, is a perfect example of that sort of application of virtual reality. Um, 
we're taking the a portion of the Glastonbury Music Festival in in the UK, one of the one of the biggest music festivals, most famous kind of you know cultural events in the world, um, which has obviously been um, cancelled this year because of the pandemic. Um, but we're recreating a, a section of that, complete with four stages, a bunch of different sort of performance zones over multiple days. Um, and we're making that available for free in virtual reality. So that people who would never before have had the chance to go to Glastonbury can put on a VR headset. Or in fact, if you don't have a VR headset, you can just connect through a, a Windows PC or, or a smartphone. Um, but yeah, um, creating a portal to a, to a potentially life-changing experience for people. They'll be able to meet other people that are joining the festival from around the world in multiple different time zones. Right. Um, so yeah, that, that's really to me one of the, one of the most exciting promises of virtual reality is giving access to things that people wouldn't otherwise have, allowing people to come together across different borders and cultures and, and languages and time zones. Um, but the other thing that I think, you know, and, and when, I, when I say VR, I'm often kind of bundling in augmented reality, extended reality, mixed reality, sure. all different. I like to call it star R, where the star can stand for any other letter, because, you know, I don't think we've yet hit an exhaustive list of, of realities that we're going to be sure. dealing with. Um, but to me, it's kind of a natural extension of... If you think about the the sort of the computer revolution, right in the mm. um, in the eighties and nineties, we went from nobody having a computer to everybody having a computer. In the two thousands, we've gone from well, sorry, in the in the late nineties and into the early two thousands, we went from everybody having a computer to everybody having a computer that was connected to the internet and therefore having access to all of human knowledge at their fingertips. And then we had the smartphone revolution. So now you're carrying all of human knowledge around with you in your pocket. Yeah. Um, and all you need to do to access it is pull it out of your pocket. To me, the next logical extension for that is, you know, what I call star are this sort of virtual reality, augmented reality, mixed reality, these um, accessing that human or that the sum of all human knowledge without even having to pull a device out of your pocket, having that sort of integrated into your experience of the world. And so, you know, our digital personal assistants, our wearables, our, you know, they kind of all fit into that same sort of um, transition from the internet being in a single device in your pocket to yeah the internet being something that's just integrated into your field of view, into your hearing, into your, into your interactions. Um, so yeah, I think, you know, when people say that VR is dead or that it's failed to live up to its promise, you know, we're, we're still in the, we're still looking at the Palm pilot sort of version yeah. of virtual reality <laughs> um, compared to the iPhone. Yeah. Uh, and you that, said Palm Pilot. It's actually kind of funny because I wonder how many people are actually going to remember that Palm Pilot <laughs> as a device. And it's funny. Something I actually wanted to touch upon, which uh, I've never really talked much about, is going back to where you said your friend Mel, I believe, that was on that electronic music list. Mm -hmm. so a lot of people don't know is that one of my business adventures was actually an online radio station for ele electronic music. And, um, you know, I've always been, as an Eastern European, I've always enjoyed trance house like all these electronic different musics because 
genres, which they were kind of a blend, I guess, of, you know, classical and hip hop and R&B. And, and that's kind of what comprised it. Right. And um, Sense.fm was formed in 2005 officially. And then it ran for a period of, of 10 years and it had a lot of different success. But what was really interesting about that industry is just that we saw a rise of these music festivals, uh, like these ginormous, we're talking about 15, 20,000 people that be out in a huge field. I think, you know, some of the groups like uh, Above and Beyond, I think in one of their concerts, they had like a million people somewhere out in India that were visiting. Now, what was interesting about that is you were talking about when you said, you know, AR being sort of a, a, a fold within VR. Also, is we saw an evolution into technology and the internet and morphing to create this integrated experience that you were talking about. Mm -hmm. that, well, you know, wearables, my, my, my Apple Watch and other things that, you know, like you said, the next step is this for something to be much more integrated other than, you know, just pulling out your phone, which is, you know, that's basically where most people live now. And I think we're going to make a bigger shift into that. Something else interesting that I wanted to share, a couple of years ago, I had ran into someone locally and, and, and nobody saw really value into this because it was so new. So this guy was doing virtual meetings, like, you know, traditional type, you do traditional types of meetings when you meet someone in person or we're doing a podcast via Zoom. No, this was like a, a VR-based meeting for, for large companies. So call it like a virtual conference in an essence. Right. And I think virtual reality will play a huge part into that because it's not only about simulation in part, but it's also about, you know, congregation of many people to where you can still interact with people on a, on a large scale, not just one-to-one, -one, but on a large scale in a virtual environment. So in essence, it extends the connectivity factor from, you know, traditionally engaging with someone and taking it in a whole new level in a virtual world. So it's really interesting you were talking about this music festival because I think there's going to be a lot of those to come with, with AR and VR simply because they're accessible. You know, you buy a ticket, you got a virtual reality device. I know, uh, I think Facebook has their own version of, of what is it, the goggles, I think, yeah. to, to push. And, and I know there's other companies out there. Samsung has stuff. I think for, uh, for the Samsung phones, the Galaxy phones also that you can use. Um, so what you're saying is over the next, the next several years, we're going to probably see and beyond probably the biggest boom of AR and VR, right? Yeah, I think so. And I think, I mean, I'll just say with your, uh, electronic music taste, I'm sure you will love Lost Horizon Festival. So I definitely okay. check that out. Um, you'd probably be a fan of several of the DJs. We've got DJs from like the entire history of my wow. fascination with uh, electronic music. So we've got, you know, acts like Carl Cox and Fatboy Slim and Andy C and Cole. Oh yeah. And yeah, just so, so many, I can't even, I can't even li list them all off. That's amazing. Yeah. Man, Carl Cox, like you, you mentioned Carl Cox. This guy has been around for like 20 years, maybe even longer. I mean, he's like a legend in the electronic space. And what's really interesting is I feel like, you know, fast forward 20 years to modern day, that we've like barely touched the surface of that. I feel like like the Lost Horizon Festival, which what you said, if I understand correctly, that you're morphing it into a VR experience, correct? 
That's right. And and it's actually, I'll, I'll go back to what you were saying before about a, a portal, because I think of this festival or this, this particular virtual festival is kind of like a portal because it's, it's our first time taking part of Glastonbury and making it in, you know, making it available in VR. But, you know, the only reason that we're constrained by the laws of physics and by the sort of appearance of a traditional music festival is because we're grounded in that sort of Glastonbury tradition. And this, this group of people that are, that are, we're working with have been, you know, they've been building out this Shangri-La section of Glastonbury for the last 10 years. Um, but now that we have sort of migrated that into virtual reality, it no longer needs to be constrained by the laws of physics. And it no longer needs to have these sort of traditional ideas of, well, this, mm-hmm. is, a, this is a speaker box and this is a screen and this is a turntable. You know, we can, we can now start to have virtual experiences that completely transcend the limitations of, of physical reality. Um, that so- is like what you just said right there, Shangri-La and... That is so fascinating, like so fascinating that I personally being a huge tech geek, like not just the electronic music festival, but and and all these acts, but just the experience, I think in itself is just fascinating that, you know what, I could be sitting in my chair here and experiencing the entire festival, right? Which in a traditional fashion is, uh, let's think about it, is is if you want to go to a festival and let's say it's in the UK, you have to travel abroad. That costs you money for an airplane ticket. That costs you money for, you know, convenience, comfort, food, travel, all of that, right? So you're just looking at a couple thousand dollars by the time you get to the festival. And that doesn't even include your expenses at the festival, right? And so now with VR is, you know, you've got like a one ticket price, basically, that you're going to get virtual access to this. Maybe you need to buy a, a VR device to truly, you know, experience it. But you're still tapping into it, and it's all a combination of different technologies like the internet and also the evolution of humankind and the evolution of creativity. You talked about physics. You talked about us as human beings also kind of thriving on on new things and being curious. And I think that's where that portal that you were talking about with VR really kind of comes into play, that it, it helps expand on the imagination and what we could do with it. And I feel like it's probably in its infancy, right? Mm-hmm. Totally. And one of the things that we're really passionate about, because you, you listed off all of these reasons that, you know, that, a, that a, a person might not be able to go to a festival, they might not be able to afford to go to a festival. But then there's also a bunch of other reasons, like somebody might, you know, have a physical disability that prevents them from going to a festival, or they might have certain medical needs that they mean they can't camp out in a field for a week, or they have certain sort of, you know, social awkwardness that, you know, they don't feel like they can put themselves out in those sort of scenarios in the real world. But we create this space in virtual reality that allows anybody, no matter what their physical or mental capabilities are to participate in it fully they can they can dress their avatar up however they want to be seen by the world so if they're you know there's somebody who's shy about how they look that's not an impediment to them taking part in that either and that's i think one of the things that that vr offers is the ability to make the world more sort of radically inclusive and to open it up to to diversity Mm -hmm. and to allow diverse voices and, and participation you know, as you were, that last sentence, as you were talking about uh, creating an appearance that people are comfortable with, I'm thinking that Tchaikovsky Brothers, 
I'm thinking The Matrix. Right. Like, right, right, right. Brothers. I mean, that was like one of the most phenomenal, phenomenal pieces of production because it was a blend of AR and VR in essence, right? Is this, I would get plugged into the matrix. And even to this day, I remember what was the, the second or the third, it might've been the second version when it, when it was coming out, like it was all this hype and people were so excited about it. I don't know if it was necessarily about the production, but I think it was about the exposure and the insight that it was provided into how we could emulate, we could emulate, maybe simulate is a better word, a virtual world where in essence you could be anything or anyone. And that's what virtual reality in essence is, right? Is is a portal that, that gives you a gateway into uh, an infinite space where you, you could, in essence, do whatever you want to, right? Absolutely. Yes, and uh, actually Lana Wachowski is making a fourth Matrix film. They, were, they started shooting that before the pandemic hit. Wow. Uh, but yeah, I'm really excited to see what she comes up with with her team. Because oh my God, this is, all right. This is groundbreaking on this podcast. Like that, like that I mean, I, I'm, a, I'm a huge fan of that. Even still, when he comes on, I got YouTube TV nowadays, kind of dish the cable. But every time that comes on or I catch it, I'm like, ooh, I got I to gotta watch this. Like, even though they're lengthy episodes, but I, I think it was, probably, it was probably one of the earliest true examples, you know, of like what virtual reality could do. You know, you were talking about the pornography industry earlier. And what's mm -hmm. really interesting is this. I think the pornography industry will pivot more into VR because now they can boost the creativity aspect. And let's face it. If you are in Hollywood, like um, think Sylvester Stallone, he started in, in the adult space, right? right. Mm -hmm. And that's what got him to being this mega superstar and doing Rambo and uh, you know, the, the, all these massive movies, right? So I, I I'm seeing, the pornography industry, kind of, you know, the adult space shifting more into VR. I think in part, it, there's probably a cost factor that's probably more cost efficient too than doing traditional productions as opposed to doing it in a virtual reality environment, correct? Um, in some regards, yeah. I mean, I've actually, <laughs> this is, is a completely different story, so I'm not going to tell the whole story, but I did um, pitch some virtual reality technology that I was developing to the adult industry a few years ago. Uh -huh. uh, and because people are used to getting their adult entertainment for free now. Um, <laughs> <laughs> right. It's very difficult for the um, for the producers to make a much much of a margin off the content, um, but virtual reality actually offers a way of you know um, creating a whole new layer, a whole new kind yeah. of pornography that people might be willing to pay for again. So as soon as as soon as that happens, and there's a bit of a you know it's a bit of a chicken and egg thing at the moment because not enough people have the headsets for it to yeah. be worth people to invest a lot of money in creating the content. But if there was the content, that would be enough to, con that might be enough to convince people to go out and buy the headsets. So yeah. it's going to be very interesting to see how much of a boom there's been in headset sales during the pandemic while people are locked at home. I know the Oculus Quest headset has been selling out every, every single time it gets shipped from the manufacturers. So mm -hmm. you know, that, that to me suggests that there's going to be a lot more headsets out there by the end of this year. Um, and that starts to make the economics of creating VR content, whether for the adult mm -hmm. entertainment industry or for the mainstream entertainment, starts to make the economics make more sense. Absolutely. You know, it's really interesting. 
uh, you shared that story because uh, what was it about a year or two ago? I did some work with with a guy. So he's kind of like a, a global trotter, or was at one point um, also an agency owner in the marketing space, and had done you know a business with some Fortune brands, like think of like Pampers, you know, like big, big, big brands around the world. <laughs> he was telling me a story, and this kind of threw me off. But since we're talking about the adult entertainment space, so. Apparently, he knew the guys, I think it was at Bang Bros or Brazzers. Oh, yeah. Instead of like a huge household name in the adult entertainment space, right? But, and it's mainly because they were one of the first guys who like, in the earlier days, embraced technology and the internet and servers and like, like figured out how to create this cluster, basically, which when you think about it, it's fascinating because the way the internet basically started, for the most part, was just that, you know, the, the U.S. military released this technology, made it public. And they realized that it was much bigger from a communication standpoint, connectivity standpoint. And anyone that, you know, is a big technology fan knows that technology is meant to be shared. That's why open source is so big nowadays is because it's meant to be shared. It's meant to be shared because people can take it and create different things with it, which really contributes to building it out. But speaking of the adult entertainment industry, it was interesting. He was telling me about that. I remember some stories about like, Tell me how these guys, I mean, they were doing this in their like early, early days. Right. Like nobody knew like what a server was or renting a server or, you know, how to house content and media and stuff like that. And I think that's in part kind of like where things took off with the adult entertainment spaces because largely they've embraced technology. And I think now AR and VR is kind of the next step of that evolution. And, you know, people like you said, get their adult entertainment for free. It might make it even more creatively accessible mm-hmm. you know to where they can really plug in into it and you were talking about the oculus you know is selling like hotcakes so now you add that on there it just creates a better virtual experience so um you know i love this conversation that we could literally go endlessly because there's so many different things you know that that i, I would love to ask you but you know first of all congratulations on everything that you've accomplished you know you, you've had a massive massive career I can't wait to see what you guys come up with the Lost Horizon Festival. I have to keep tabs uh, on that because being an electronic music fan, I'll have to plug into that for sure. Absolutely. For sure. Um, with that being said, you know, let's, let's tell the listeners before we close things up, you know, uh, where can they find you on the internet? Throw out some handles, some websites if they want to connect with you. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so my, my own company website is pansensory.com. P-A-N-S-E-N-S-O-R-Y. Um, and you can find Pansensory on LinkedIn and Facebook. Um, you can also find me on um, LinkedIn, Ollie Rankin, O-L-L-I-E-R-A-N-K-I-N. Um, LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitter, all the usual. Awesome. Awesome. And uh, yeah, definitely, definitely just one more, one more plug, LostHorizonFestival.com. Um, it's on the, the 3rd and 4th of July. So uh, highly okay. recommend getting along to it. Awesome. Well, Ali, this was an absolute pleasure. I feel like I was, you know, geeking out, you know, <laughs> back in the days with like my Atari when nobody knew what an Atari was. And that's what it felt like chatting with you. So thank you so much for your time. It was an absolute my pleasure. pleasure. Ivan. Yeah, it was great talking to you too.